You know, one of the concerts I missed because of the pandemic was actually Hall & Oates. I was supposed to see Hall & Oates uh, outside of Seattle. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. I saw them back in, I think, in 1981 in Montreal, a long time ago. A lot of people, I think, missed going to see live shows. You know, you remember when they were all canceled, you, people struggled to get ticket refunds and so forth. So when things started to change, go back to normal somewhat, um, I think people were really excited to go back to see concerts. And of course, musicians were excited to play again. Uh, it had been a tough two years for everyone in the performing arts. Um, so with concerts back in full swing, a lot of us are probably eager to go see live music again. You'll notice that prices aren't really what they were a few years ago. A report, One report says that average prices for concert tickets have increased nearly 20% between 2019 and 2022. Uh, but one of the things that's also uh, raising some issues, and this is not a new subject, but it's funny how it's resurfaced so quickly once again, is anger about how the whole ticketing system for concerts works, including something called dynamic price tickets. Um, so with concerts a thing, once again, the debate over ticket prices, who takes what, and often vilified Ticketmaster, of course, are once again taking a front row seat in this whole debate. Uh, Pascal Corti is a professor of economics at the University of Victoria who's done a lot of work on the resale market for tickets and pop concert pricing in general, and he joins me now. Thank you so much for your time on this Friday night. Thank you. Friday. So this is hardly... This is hardly a news story. Uh, it seems it didn't take long for, for fans to be heading back to see concerts for anger about how concert tickets are priced and the availability and so on. What's driving it this time? There was a big scandal around this Bruce Springsteen's North American tour, I understand. I think it's probably one of the first time that uh, both uh, the artist, Bruce Springsteen, and Ticketmaster are very upfront about... Uh, pricing tickets uh, up to whatever the demand can uh, bear. So pricing uh, tickets to demand. So th that's dynamic pricing, right? I think you, it's mentioned, um, you know, if you've, ever take, if you've ever tried to book an Uber, you know what surge pricing is like, right? That's so this right. is, tell me, a bit, tell me a bit about how the dynamic pricing works. And uh, I, I guess it, it can be a bit of a nasty surprise if you're going online or you're waiting in a virtual uh, ticket line, so to speak, when you get to the virtual ticket booth, uh, you may find a bit of a surprise about what's left to buy. Yeah, so, so there are an important distinction to, to make here. So, so one notion is to price every seat and every event to whatever it's worth. Another notion is to kind of manage the price discovery process in, in a dynamic way, meaning that the same seat for the same event, uh, the price from that, that seat for that given event might change. And, and that's dynamic pricing, and um, meaning that when you buy, it matters. And, uh, and, and you know, if, if um, circumstances changes, maybe the, 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 the uh, ticket master might change the price because they realize they can make more money and uh, they, they will be able to sell all these tickets. Obviously, the, the flip coin of that would be that some other artists do is that if they strong demand, they, they increase the number of shows, right? They stay longer in town and they, and they, and they uh, offer shows until, uh, you know, every fan has been able to, 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 to come. Right. But we well understand that for artists like Bruce Springsteen, there are only so many days and only so many dates and only so many places you can play. So, I mean, you touch on a problem that's always existed for the music business is that every once in a while, certain artists, there's much more demand than supply. Um, but why is concert ticket pricing, 
Why does it still feel so cryptic compared to, say, buying a train ticket? You raise a very good point here. So, uh, so, so let's say that uh, as a general point, dynamic pricing has slowly made its way first in airline and then uh, in the sports industry. So if you buy a baseball ticket, uh, many teams uh, uh, use dynamic pricing. And uh, in the concert industry, it has been more controversial because there, there are many reasons for that. So, some uh, artists are opposed to it uh, on uh, principle, on um, you know, like being pro-social or political views, and that it's unfair and it's not the way they want to deal with it. And other artists feel that their art or their they don't want to put a value on the concert and they don't want to uh, have to lower their, the value of the concert because there is low demand and, you know, this could have a negative uh, reputation. So there are many reasons for why this is less the case if you want for an airline ticket for sure and also for a sports team, right, because a team is a team and a game is a game, right? Well, uh, an artistic performance, you know, it's more sensitive and it is more subjective uh, a component to it and uh, and everybody would like to believe that their show is the best and that they could charge a lot of money. Uh, it's still, though, again, um, it, it doesn't... Pr- I mean, anytime you buy a ticket, I, I guess what I was trying to get at is that there are a lot of things that you buy in life where you pretty much know what you're paying for and why. And sometimes feels like when you buy tickets, and maybe it's not just concerts, uh, and I understand dynamic pricing. I, mean, I think it's it's probably not a you know you're basically meeting demand, right? It it seems mm-hmm. seems to make mm-hmm. sense, um, but I still don't understand why you know buying tickets from Ticketron, for instance, not to always pick on them, but we'll pick on them. Uh, why it always seems like you're paying an incredible amount of of fees and stuff, and all of it is kind of inexplicable. Well, if, if you buy in the secondary tar- uh, market, you, you, you are buying from a, a reseller who is competing with other resellers. And, right. and um, then there are market forces, right? There are things that happen, right? The, the, the show is more desirable or everybody wants to front, read, so, uh, front, uh, front uh, row seat and then price goes up. So there, there, I think you're, you're right that there is a mystery component and, and, and the mystery component has more to do with you know, either the ticketing agency or the artist not being very upfront about the number of seats available or how they're going to allocate the seats, how, how many seats are withhold and go directly through other channels. So there's always been a mystery about about tickets, right? And and but but in some sense, dynamic pricing or having a, a transparent secondary market, even though fans don't like that, because you know it means that you know, maybe price is going to be very high. In some sense, it's, it's, uh, it's more transparent. Yeah, you, you said actually that, that part of this isn't such a bad thing. I mean, I gather part of the issue here is trying to cut out scalpers and resellers, so to speak. Is it effective at doing that? Um, yeah, if the company does it well... Uh, for sure, because uh, then there, sh- there would be only one price, right? If you believe in the market, they, you know, uh, uh, and everything is transparent and you equally trust all the sellers, uh, it would be hard for the resellers and the ticket master to charge two different prices because you just purchase the, the lowest price. 
Um, does but is it effective? Well, no, not really. What, I, what I'm trying to ask you is that <laughs> does the does the dynamic does this whole if the idea is to try to to force resellers out of the business? Because let, let, let's go back to the what I was starting to talk about. Mm -hmm. I want to go see a concert. I want to buy a ticket. Oftentimes, by the time you get to the front, you know, back, back in the day, you had to wait in line, so at least you knew how yeah. long the line was. But even then, all the tickets seemed to disappear. Nowadays, you get online, and, and it's almost impossible to buy tickets online for a concert you want to go to see. They seem to vanish almost instantly. And when you That's do right. try to find real sellers, everything has gone up exponentially. That's right. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is if, if, if trying to ease the middlemen or the middle people out of this is part of what dynamic pricing is, do, is supposed to do, does it actually work? I guess was, or, or maybe I'm completely off base. No, that, that's a good point. So, so let's see how they implement it, and let's see. Uh, um, in principle, it would work, but I, I think I, I think what's going to happen is that you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, kickback because you're going to end up with very high prices. So you see, okay, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I think I, I think what was happening before was for many hot events with very high demand was largely a lie. The lie was to print a low price on the ticket and make all the fans believe that they could buy a ticket at that price. That was a lie because very few artists were able to implement what it would take to do that, which would be a fair lottery. And a fair lottery would mean that you give the ticket only to the fans and you don't let the fans resell for profit. So, that was a lie, and, and also that was also to hide the fact that you would allocate actually only very few tickets at that price, and, and you would basically sell the, uh, the remaining tickets at a much higher price directly in the secondary market. So there was a lot of evidence that this was going on. So, so there was, the artist wants to maintain this perception that their show is affordable, but at the same time, they also want to make some of the money that they could make by, by, by playing a little bit the secondary market. So dynamic pricing is somehow cutting all this smoke and mirror game that was going on. And at least now, you know, if you are a reseller, you can still buy from Ticketmaster and, and you'll compete against them because they'll price dynamically and you price dynamically too, right? Right? It doesn't right. mean that you exclude the reseller. It's not now you have two different people speculating and trying to make money by, by buying the right seats for the right show and reselling them at the right time. My guest is Pascal Corti. We're trying to make sense of Ticketron. You can tell by how confusing the conversation is, just how confusing buying concert tickets is in this country um, in general. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, we'll, we'll try and clear things up a bit more when we come back. My guest this half hour is Pascal Corti. He's a professor of economics at the University of Victoria who's done a lot of work on the resale market for tickets and pop concert pricing. Uh, we're trying to navigate, again, now that people are going back to concerts, the question of how concert tickets are priced, um, how they're sold is back in the spotlight once again, somewhat. Fans angry about the fact that, you know, sometimes they don't know what they're paying for exactly. This seems like there's fees. They're, they want more transparency, I think, is what it boils down to. Uh, Pascal, when we left off, we were trying to make sense of, of, of all of this. Um, <laughs> does, does Ticketmaster need more competition? Is that part of, the, part of the issue here? Because I think there is this idea that fans pay a lot to buy a ticket from them. I think uh, more competition, more transparency, a clearer uh, game for the consumers, knowing exactly what are their options, and uh, that would really help the, 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 
the markets and the fans. Competition is hard to introduce because uh, Ticketmaster is in a kind of what you would call a natural monopoly. And it's, it's very hard to, uh, at the moment, right, despite big innovation in technology, we, we don't see important competitors coming into the play. No, we don't. Um, what about those fees? I mean, you, you've looked at this for a very long time. Have, have these fees changed at all? Are, are consumers right to be upset about the fees they're charged by these companies? Or is it just part of doing business? So the, the fees is more about fair dealings. And there, there have been uh, several investigations. If you remember, right, we have had the same problem with credit cards and with uh, telephone companies back in the days. And so, the, depending on the re- jurisdiction, they are they, they are regulated about what fees they can they can impose. And this is kind of more a short-term problem, right? If they start to charge all kinds of uh, this fee and that fee that makes no sense, then it, it goes. Typically, most uh, jurisdiction would have a, a consumer fair dealing uh, uh, section that would look at that, and eventually you would see these fees uh, not being used, uh, at least being announced up front, right? Uh, so that's a problem. The, the, the problem is not the fees; is that the, the, the fees are slowly uh, trickled down, and uh, and consumers at the end of the day pay much more than what they thought it would cost. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's part of the issue as well. So, is, so are there solutions to this? I mean, I, I guess I guess what you what you're combining here is the emotion of fans wanting to see their favorite artist, not wanting to spend or not being able to afford to spend huge amounts of money for it, and then competition for these tickets. And then, as always, the tickets don't seem to be as plentiful as one might imagine they might be when you get online to buy them. So perhaps there is no good answer here. I mean, what, what do you advise? To, to concert goers next time they get online to buy a ticket to a concert they really want to see, but they're amongst many. A good, I mean, uh, so let's turn, first, yeah, let's clarify and make sure we understand. So what, what we need to have is, is to have a very clear understanding for the fan. What, are they participating in the lottery, meaning that they know that there are much more tickets than, uh, much fewer tickets than there are people who want tickets. So they, or are they really playing in a, in a very competitive game where basically dynamic pricing, resales, and all that is going on? And at the moment, you know, the problem for the fans already, they don't know, right? They don't know, you know, they're told that there are going to be tickets available, and then it turns out that all the tickets are sold, and there's this, this uh, very obscure uh, and uh, opaque market. So, so for the fan, they're trying to find out, is it, I mean, is it really reasonable that Bruce Springsteen can sell just 10,000 seats for... $150 or, well, at that price, it's pretty unlikely that uh, uh, it's easy to get a ticket. So now what right. fun can, uh, so, so I think beyond that, what fun can do, I mean, I think it's the usual things, right? Try to make sure that they are always uh, uh, keep an ear about, about, about what's going on in the market because what happened, you know, what we, even when the, 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 the big problem that, tragically hip uh, tour happen, uh, there, there were tickets available, right? Some tickets are released slowly, and so even with dynamic pricing, sometimes Ticketmaster is going to be stuck with a couple hundred tickets for whatever reason. They were being supposed to be sold in a given channel. The channel didn't materialize. So for the fans, there's always possibly to look at many, many different channels, always keep an ear, and sometimes some good deals will, will, will show up because some tickets were held with the hope to fetch a high price, and then and then somehow uh, this didn't work out for Ticketmaster. So then they released these tickets last minute. So 
So really, that, that's part of the opacity. That's part of the slow release. And, and funds can take advantage of that, being patient, spend time. And I know it's not, a, it's not a, you know, it's a tough, it's a, uh, it's a tough advice, but, but, but it works for some. Yeah, I mean, the, the alternative is just to get mad about it, right? So it sounds it sounds like pretty or, good. Or, pretty... Go, or suck it up and go to secondary market and pay whatever resource that willing, uh, whatever is not cost you in secondary market. Because secondary market uh, exists, right? And, and if, you, you know, yeah. if you want a ticket, you're going to get a ticket. So, I mean, as a last question, this may be a bit a bit broad, but, um, you know, you've, you've been looking at this a very long time. What have you learned over all this time you know, studying how this works, uh, you know, it is, it does seem like quite a unique system of sales because you mentioned the idea of artists are somewhat opposed to being seen to be profiting too much off their fans. At the same time, there's this huge demand to see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it does, from an economics point of view, it must be a very interesting field because it combines a whole bunch of different emotions and wants and economic forces. That's right. That's right. And, and I think I, I think like to put everything in perspective, what's very important is to keep a, a big picture. But, but the industry started sometime in the late 60s, early 70s, depending on which band you, you credit for the, the first large uh, uh, touring. And, and, and back in the days, it was general admission. Art, I mean, when, when, when some artists started to price, uh, uh, charge a higher price for the front row seats, most people in the industry were saying, you're crazy, right? It's never going to work. And then they discovered that the front row seats were worth a fortune. So now it's pretty systematic to scale the house. So you see, and, and, then, and then sometime uh, in the, um, about 10 years ago, we, we started to have secondary market, and we started very active 10, 20 years ago. And then now we have the box. We have this whole problem of... Uh, uh, a lot of the ticket release is not done at the box office anymore, and uh, they they are done like uh, online. And now we have these massive problems about, and very hard to fight because we have lowered the cost of the uh, of the resellers to 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 easily grab tickets. So so you see the the industry is in constant flux, and also many artists now are willing to be a little more greedy. They they they, they don't uh, you know they are okay with uh, using dynamic pricing. They are okay with charging pretty high prices. And so things are always changing, and, and for the fans, it's a little confusing because maybe you were used to buy tickets a certain way, and five years later, oh, this, this is not possible anymore. Pascal Corti, thank you so much for your insight. This is, again, a fascinating topic. I'm sure we'll talk about it again at some point. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for the good questions. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.